Now, the day before VBS is always one of the more interesting times to be preaching. One of the churches I served uh, previously, uh, the way the sanctuary was decorated uh, was a, a fish theme, and our sound booth was elevated. And so the people in our sound booth took a photo, and throughout the service, all they saw was me with a fish head uh, that was right above the pulpit. And I couldn't help but thinking about uh, now that we have live stream, what it would be like to experience that being preached at by a fish, which might be an improvement, I don't know. But um, So I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Psalm 116. Uh, If you are uh, new with us or haven't been with us for a while during this summer, uh, we are taking a break. Actually, we finished our service, speaking of fish, uh, on a series, our series in Jonah. Uh, We will start a new series in James uh, this fall. Uh, But in summertime, as it's often our practice, is we just spend some time soaking and studying uh, the Psalms uh, that speak to us, uh, that give voice to our prayers, give us a language that we are able to pray. Uh, and then nurture our souls. And psalm 116 this morning is a, a psalm of thanksgiving. Uh, it is a psalm that is a joyful psalm. It's an instructive psalm. It's a, a liberating psalm, and hopefully an empowering psalm for all of us as well. Psalm 116, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 19. Hear the word of our God. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up a cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all, of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this day, we come as a time of celebration, and yet we come uh, knowing that there are many uh, that are in our midst and certainly in our world who are mourning. We pray, Lord, that you, by your grace, would, uh, would make known what you have done to provide that we may be reconciled to you, that we may have the abundance of life that you have designed for us, that we may taste and see that you are good, and therefore, regardless of our circumstances, find that we can experience joy. 
Lord, speak to us. Remind us of those things that bring us joy this day, that we may be able to respond to you and testify to the world. Our Lord is good. So Lord, speak to us now that we would be reminded, that we would be renewed, that you would be praised here in this place and throughout the world. This we pray in the incomparable name of Christ, our Redeemer, our King. Amen. I imagine most of you have probably seen uh, some of those essays, sometimes newspapers, sometimes now online, that says, in 25 words or less, please describe and you can fill in the blank. Those kinds of contests apparently were popular enough that it's now a TV show hosted by Meredith Vieira. I didn't know that until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I can understand why it would be a contest. People would come in and they're to, you know, given a topic and they're supposed to express in 25 words or less whatever it is that it is that they're supposed to finish. Psalm 116 is, is kind of like that. It's kind of like one of those things that you're supposed to finish in 25 words or less, except here's the topic. I love the Lord because. And as the psalmist begins with that phrase, I love the Lord because, then in the early verses, he immediately gives us a handful of things that pop into his mind. We see three, I think, in particular, two that stand out, and the other is, is there without, a, doesn't take a microscope to, to find, uh, but three things that he says, I love the Lord because. And he begins by saying simply this, I love the Lord because he hears my prayer. We, we see that in the, in the opening verses. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Essentially, he's saying, I love the Lord because the Lord listens to me. And that is something that we all are in need of. In fact, it's the way that we are wired, that we are to be in communion with one another and in communion with God, and the way that we express ourselves and the knowing that we are heard is a vital aspect of that relationship, the affirmation, and even of our, uh, the reinforcing of our, our self-worth. One psychologist put it this way, not being heard can be exhausting and triggering. It erodes trust. It generates a gaslighting effect where the person is so oblivious to reality that we doubt ourselves. In other words, there's this powerful effect of being in a continual relationship where you feel like you're trying to express yourself, but you, you don't feel like you are heard. It, it has a, a devastating effect on, on the psych, uh, psyche of anyone. Another psychologist, Michael P. Nichols, in a book that he wrote called The Lost Art of Listening, says this, we, the need to be heard is one of the most powerful motive forces in human nature. We define and sustain ourselves in conversations with others. The recognition of being listened to is the response from another person that tells us that our feelings, actions, and intentions are meaningful. We have that need to be heard. Being heard is part of the communion that either strengthens us or causes us to feel that we are deteriorating on the inside. Now, apparently the psalmist was going through a, a, a rough time. We, we see that in the, the following verses, three and four. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish, and then I called on the name of the Lord. 
And so we don't know whether what the situation was specifically that he was in. Uh, we don't know whether he was truly facing a, a literal death. He certainly felt like uh, death was a potential possibility. Maybe he was already feeling dead on the inside. Maybe he was in a situation where, you know, death was threatening, but he was almost close to feeling like that's not always, uh, doesn't seem like it'd be the worst option. What we, we do know from what he says in these verses is that he was not in a good place. And he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord not only heard him, but he says, the Lord inclined his ear to me. There's a beautiful picture here because there's one thing about being heard and there's another thing of being listened to. My wife reminds me of that periodically. Actually, she reminds me of that frequently, but periodically makes me feel a lot better. Because the conversation in our house sometimes goes like that. Did you hear me? Of course I heard you. What did I say? I always feel vindicated when I can repeat verbatim. But the reality is that since most of our communication is not through what we say, it is through body language, the fact that I have heard while my attention may have also been somewhere else is not really hearing, not in the way, certainly not in the way that the picture of the psalmist of the way that the Lord hears us. He says it's not just we cry out and the Lord hears it. He inclines his ear to us. In other words, he hears what we are saying. He hears when we are speaking. He hears when we're crying out. And it's not just, yeah, I heard it. And he continues going about his business. But the picture the psalmist says is that our God, he, he, knowing you're speaking, he, he turns the ear so that he is giving attention to whatever it is that you are saying. We have that need to be affirmed by the people who are around us. We have that need in our marriage. We have that need. Our children have that need from us as parents to know that they are being heard. And the beautiful picture here for you and for me through the psalmist is whether times are good, whether we are times of distress, when we cry out, when we call out to the Lord, not only does God hear and know what's going on, but he is so attentive to that need, to that cry. He turns his ear and the psalmist says, I love that about God. I love that about our God who is so personally engaged, so caring and so compassionate about my needs, about our needs. So he inclines his ear to listen to whatever it is that I say. In fact, he is so compassionate that the psalmist says, I'm going to make this resolution. And he says at the end of this in verse 4, uh, that, uh, or excuse me, um, that, that he's going, uh, going to make this a, 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 a lifetime. Verse 2, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. There was something about knowing that God hears, that God listens, that God is concerned about what he's going to say, that he's committed to making prayer a lifetime commitment, that he would engage in conversation with God, speaking to God, and in conversation with God, even as we see the way that he prays in this particular psalm, it also means listening to God as well. And so the psalmist begins with something very simple, something that every one of us should be able to identify with. Some of us have experienced it more. Some of us need to experience it more. That we pray to the Lord with this great understanding that he not only hears and knows, but he cares and that he listens. The psalmist goes on, he says, I love the Lord because he preserves, or in some translations it says, he protects the simple. Pick that up in verses 5 and 6. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. And I like that. 
Why? Because I can always achieve that. I'm not always there, but I can always achieve that. The Lord protects. The Lord preserves the simple. This is a reminder to us that it is not the profound. It's not the wise. It's not the accomplished. It's not the rich. It's not the beautiful. It's not the theologically astute. The Lord preserves. The Lord protects those who are simple. And it doesn't mean this simpleton and the one who is not able to think and has no capacity. But the picture here is the same as Jesus presents when he says, come to me as children. In fact, that was Jesus' invitation. In Matthew 18, we read this, verses 1 through 3 at the time, people, the disciples came. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you that unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' invitation is to come to him in simplicity. There is no pretense, there is no measure, there's no achievement that we, we need to arise to for the Lord to care, to protect, to preserve. The Lord, we're told, preserves the simple. And so we are able to be stripped of all of those pretenses and, and come before him as we are, how we really feel, coming to him in our neediness, coming to him like a child. And sometimes that's not easy for us to do because the world doesn't value that and very few people rise in their employments because they act like a child or because they, they seem to be very simple. Uh, everything pressures us to be accomplished and to be poised. And we tend to project that into the Lord. And sometimes we live our lives that way. Sometimes it's easy to forget that the Lord preserves the simple. Apparently the psalmist must have too, uh, because there's an interesting phrase that he, that he expresses here. He makes a, a confession in, in this passage. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. When I was brought low is a really important and interesting phrase because it tells us that in his life there were circumstances that were around him that were undoing him, eroding the sure footing that he had under his feet, taking away the confidence that he had. The idea of being brought low is bringing us to a situation, circumstances, God's providence is bringing to us a point where we stop thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We're brought low. We have nothing. We are aware of our weaknesses. We are aware of our frailty. We are aware, uh, aware of our neediness. And God, in his love, brings us to that position at times because it's when we feel that we are too high that we then approach God or we, tr or we treat others as if it's only the important, the achieved, the ones who have measured up that matter. And the psalmist got to a point in his life where circumstances, I was brought low. And because I was brought low, I cried out to God. He cried out with the neediness and in simplicity. And the Lord heard him. The Lord restored him. And the psalmist says, this is something I need to remember because as he goes on and he's thinking about this, we, we see a, a beautiful pattern of what genuine prayer is like because part of the prayer and most of the prayer is, uh, is toward God. And then there's, he stops at different times and God is essentially speaking to him and he's speaking to himself. And, and, and so what we see in verse seven is the guy talking to himself and he says, return, O my soul, to your rest 
for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You see what he's doing there? He's reminding himself that he needs to just rest in the fact that God loves him as his children, as his child. That it's not when he has achieved, it is when he comes simple and needy that he experiences God's preservation, God's protection, when he most is in tune and able to feel God's love. And because he knows that's the reality, he's now talking to himself and saying, look, I know this is the case, but I need to remember this. It's the keep it simple, stupid, literally, because the Lord preserves the simple. Many of you are familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones, his writing, and particularly this statement that he made says, but don't you remember, don't you realize that most of your unhappiness in this life is because you spend too much time listening to yourself and not enough time talking to yourself. In other words, the voices that come into our mind that tell us you're great or you suck, um, either one, neither are true. But those voices are persistent and they're generated from within ourselves And what Lloyd-Jones is pointing out is when those voices continue to speak to us and we listen to them, well, then we become out of sorts. And the psalmist apparently had experienced this and he recognizes, look, it's not that hard. It's when I can just rest in God's goodness and God's preservation and God's promises, then I can truly rest. So he's speaking to himself here and in saying, I'm going to remember this. Remember this. Remind yourself of this. The Lord preserves the simple. And he says, I love the Lord because of that. And then there's a third thing that's here that's embedded in these same verses. I think it's almost self-explanatory, but it might be the most profound of them all. And I kind of summarize it this way. The psalmist is saying, I love the Lord because of who he is. And again, looking at at verse 5, we see that the character of God, as the psalmist is just kind of thinking about some of the ways that God has revealed himself, gracious is the Lord and righteous. And our God is merciful. He's not in any way trying to exhaust and do a theological exam and show everybody what he knows about God. But in the present circumstance, as he's communing with God, as he's connecting and he's seeking personal renewal, and he, part of the way of doing that is by expressing the reasons that he loves God, he's beginning to remind himself of what, what is God like? And he gets, expresses these things. And when he's expressing what God is like, he just reminded us, I love the Lord. He goes on and we see kind of in verse 7, he says, you know, return a soul to to your rest for the Lord has dealt with you bountifully. He's saying, I love the Lord because God is good. All of our hopes, all of our comforts is rooted in the character and the nature of God not in our achieving, not in our striving. And the psalmist here is reminding himself in these verses, rest in who God is. Rest in what God has promised. Stop the striving and stop the stressing. But just recognize who God is. Because when we do, we will be reminded exactly what we're told later. We love because God first loved us.
It's when we recognize that God has loved us that we now respond to him with love. And that promises even more. It's not just that we love God because he first loved us, but we love because he first loved us. When we are able to experience the love of God because God is good, we respond to God in love, but we now have the capacity to love the people who are around us, both those that we like and those that we love, those who are lovely and those who seem to be unlovable. God has love for us because God is good. And the psalmist is going through there hardly an exhaustive list, but just whatever the circumstances, as he's writing us down, as he's talking to the Lord that day, he says, I love the Lord. And he gives us these reasons. The question though for you and for me is, what would we say? Some of these would certainly resonate with us. All of these are true. I hope that we've experienced every one of them. But on any given day, in any moment, perhaps today, if I was to pass the mic around and ask you, what would you say? I, I imagine that we would have almost as many different answers as we have people that are seated in the sanctuary. But what matters is, what would you say? I'm not going to pass the mic around, just so you know. How can you lend your voice to the psalmist and saying, I love the Lord because? What is it about the Lord that brings you thanks and joy that causes you to love him in response? It's a beautiful thing that the psalmist is doing here. And it's one of those things that is not just a matter of him offering praise and worship, but apparently it's life-changing to recognize and to remember why we love the Lord. Because the psalmist says something kind of in between here, which tells us something that we all sort of know, but that we at times need to be reminded of. As we look at... Um, Verses you know, 8 through 10, you know, he continues on uh, about the Lord's deliverance. You've delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. And I'll walk with, uh, before the Lord. And so he's, he's talking about his circumstances and the hope that he has. And, and then he talks about the world that is around him, the world that is around every one of us. In verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. We're all broken. We all have challenges. We live in a broken world. We have afflictions. Some of you seem to have more afflictions than seems fair to me. You have more than your share. Others who have less afflictions than me, you have less than I believe should be your share. But we all have them. And he goes on and he says, and this is the nature of the world that we live in. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. In other words, you just, we can't trust the world. We can't trust people and all mankind. He's not saying the unbelieving world. All of us. We all, we lie to ourselves. We lie to one another. We live in a broken world is, is essentially what he's saying. But here's somebody who is aware of the love of God. Here's somebody who is aware that God's love is expressed through the fact that he preserves and the fact that he listens because it's the, the nature of God. And because he loves God, he now shifts gears and he makes a resolution that he is going to live his life in a different way. We see that as we, we pick up again in verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? In other words, as he's focusing on all the reasons that he loves God, he's realizing when we love God, our lives are different. Uh, we love God because he's loved us, because look at the things that he does for us. And if God has loved me, and if I really love God, then how am I going to live my life? And if God has given me everything 
every blessing that I have, what can I possibly do to, to repay God for everything that he's given to me? And just as he does, gives a, some, a list of things, uh, reasons that he, he loves the Lord, he kind of muses about things that he's going to commit himself to in order to honor, in order to essentially repay. It's, it's a way of saying, Lord, I love you and I thank you. And these are things that I think that are worthy of every one of us, not only considering, but incorporating into our lives. He begins with this. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now, this cup of salvation, it it just seems so archaic. It may be something that doesn't immediately make sense. Many commentators have have said that uh, lifting up a cup uh, or lifting up the cup of salvation is is uh, a symbolic expression for solemn occasions. Uh, commentator John Goldengay, who I appreciate, says this, it's like a toast, like we would do in our culture, you, you lift up your glasses, except that it's a toast toward God. And Golden Gate goes on, he says, it's a public prayer of thanksgiving, confessing what Yahweh has done. And then he goes on and says the practice has continued. The, uh, the idea of, because obviously the psalmist writing uh, prior to Christ's coming, he says the practice of lifting up the cup of salvation is continued uh, into the Christian observance of the Lord's Supper. Now, that starts making sense. When we lift up the cup, uh, that's the cup of salvation. This cup contains the blood of the new covenant that was shed for the remission of our sin. We are declaring, as as, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, each time we drink of the cup, we are declaring Christ's death until he comes. And so when we're lifting up the cup of the Lord's Supper, when we're lifting that cup, we are in one sense saying, Lord, I give thanks to you. Lord, I give honor to you. And we're declaring to everybody and to ourselves what God has done. We're lifting up that cup of salvation. Now, in a less formal sense, what we see lifting up the cup of salvation in, the, in, in the, that being imagery and a symbolism of reality, lifting up a cup of salvation is the constant and the regular reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. That's where it becomes a toast to you, Lord. To you who knew no sin, but became sin on my behalf. To you who died so that I may live. To you who gave everything in order to redeem a people and to reconcile them to yourselves. Rehearsing the truths of the gospel, giving honor to God, reminding ourselves of that is the lifting up a cup of salvation. And the psalmist says, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my regular practice. I'm going to remind myself, or as Jack Miller says, I'm going to preach the gospel to myself on a regular basis. I'm going to lift that cup up, toast to you, Lord, who's done this for me. Now, some may wonder, well, okay, I can see whether that's a good practice. I could certainly see why that's an expression of worship. 
But if we're reminding ourselves of, of the gospel and you know, we're partaking of communion, we're told about the benefits that come to us when we come in a, in a worthy manner. In other words, recognizing our need and, and, and reminding ourselves of what God has provided. So how is this repaying God? How is this honoring God? I mean, the, that whole stuff is about us, right? I mean, God's already done. So what it, it's not like God doesn't know that God doesn't remember what he has done on our behalf. But what we need to recognize is that when we are declaring what God has done, when we are reminding ourselves, when we are reorienting our lives, our hearts, our lives, and the responses to it, to what God has done, we are honoring him because we are declaring his grace, his love, his justice, the fullness of his character as it's been expressed in the person of Jesus and particularly in the gospel and giving his life on the cross to bring us to him. We are the beneficiaries, but as we remember, as we are reminded of that, we are therefore also honoring God. And so the psalmist here is saying that this is a commitment that he is going to make. He's going to lift us the cup of salvation to remind himself and to declare to everybody else who is around him of who our God is and what he has done. He lifts up that cup of salvation he regularly is going to preach the gospel to himself. Another thing that we see in here is, is this, is in verse 17, I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you. Now, we don't offer the sacrifices that, the, uh, that those uh, in the Old Covenant time did because Jesus Christ had come and said, all the sacrifices pointed to me to the one sacrifice that was going to be offered once for all on the cross but the writer of Hebrews does remind us that there are sacrifices that we do and can and ought to continue to offer. In Hebrews 13, 15, we're told that we're to offer the sacrifice of praise. And, and, the, and the author here, though he is in the Old Testament period, he is reminding us of a sacrifice that we can and ought to be us offering today. Along with the sacrifice of praise, we offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Often those are interrelated. Praise is to God for who he is and what he's done. Thankfulness is our response to it. Lord, I'm thankful for you for what you have done. That's an expression of worship. It's an expression of thankfulness. It's a prayer and a proclamation of the special ways in which we are able to, God, it's one thing to know, it's another thing to stop and to ponder and to experience and to respond with a thankfulness to God for what he has done for us. Another one that he says here, we see in verses 15 and 16, he says, I will become a servant of the Lord, which actually becomes a way that we are able to express our thanks. Verses 15 and 16, he says this, uh, well, verse 16, O oh Lord, I am your servant, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. So he's preaching the gospel to himself, reminding himself of what has happened, that God has set him free from his circumstances. Uh, verse 17 is, he's, I'm going to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and calling on the name of the Lord, which is communicating, praying. Then we see the Lord turning his ear and, and, and uh, listening to what we have to say. But this idea that he's not only going to worship God and to give thanks to God, but he is going to commit himself to being a servant of, of God. As the old song says, you're going to serve somebody. It could be the devil, it could be the Lord, but make no mistake about it, you're going to serve somebody. And the psalmist here says, you know what? I'm aware of that. I'm going to serve somebody. Some people are self-serving, which is not the same of God serving, but they don't think it's as bad as serving the devil. Uh, but 
you're going to serve somebody. And the psalmist says, you know what? I've decided that the best place for me, the best thing for me to do is that I'm going to become a servant of the Lord. It seems to be suggesting that he grew up in a, in a family of believers because he's the, his, his mother was the maid servant. Uh, and so, but he's saying, I'm going to be a servant of God. It's a commitment that he's making. To be a servant of God is to recognize that whatever I do, I'm doing the way that God would want me to do it because I'm doing it on his behalf. I'm doing it in his name. I'm doing as he has directed me because I serve for the Lord's privilege, I, or the Lord's glory. I serve for the Lord's joy and delight because he's found that that's where he also finds his delight. He understands that that's what we are created to be, servants of God. But because we are created to be that, we find our greatest joy there. It is not a matter of being restriction, like, oh no, I'm going to serve God and there goes fun. He says this with thankfulness. And we see again the, that this is a theme that is picked up by the Apostle Paul who says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that kind of brings a couple of things together. It's saying somebody, when we recognize the grace of God, when we recognize that God has set us free from our bondage, the response of thankfulness is not only to express thankfulness, which we do in worship, and it's necessary, it's to live our lives in response to that, the commitment to now becoming the servant of the one who has set us free, not so that he could put us in his own bondage, but because he set us free. In his service, we are free. And so therefore, we offer our lives as living sacrifices, another sacrifice that we're able to offer. And God is honored, and we find our joy. And then he has one other one. In fact, he repeats it in verses 14 and verse 18. He says, I will pay my vows. Have you ever been in a situation challenging? Probably has endured for some period of time. You've prayed, but since you're still in the situation, you kind of feel like well, there's something lacking in the prayers. I need to, you know, up the ante a little bit. So, Lord, if you will deliver me, I will. It's a making of a vow. The reality is most of us have done that, and most of us who have done that, if not all of us who have done that, are also kind of like the, the little boy who was on the barn roof and he was fooling around and then he slipped and as he began to slide down the roof to his doom, he cries out to the Lord, 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 please save me. And just as he gets to the edge, his pants get hooked and get caught on a, on a hard nail. And so he is now stabilized and he says, never mind, Lord, the nail saved me. I think most of us are that way. I know I'm that way. Somehow overlooking the fact that God put the nail there, even if it was 100 years ago, in his providence. It may have had many other purposes, but among those purposes was to be his vessel of salvation. Whatever it is, we are so quick, as soon as the circumstances, as soon as the storms subside, to forget that God is actively involved and preserving those he loves. 
And what the psalmist is saying is, I'm going to keep my vows. When I make a promise, I'm going to do what it is that I said. And this is a challenge to every one of us. In the major vows that we make in our lives, I promise to hold you, to keep you, and there will be no other vows we make in marriage. This is a reminder and a challenge to keep them. The vows that we join the church, that I'll do everything I can to promote the peace and the purity of the church. It's a vow that is made before God. And even the more formal, as James picks up, just says, let your yes be yes. And, and the psalmist is saying, here's how I'm going to repay God. I'm going to live my life in such a way that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And we see four beautiful ways that the psalmist says, look, I love the Lord, and because I love the Lord, and I love the Lord because I know the Lord loves me, and so my life is going to be different, and these are four ways that every one of us can incorporate into our lives to recognize that we are in need and God is honored when we remind ourselves of the gospel and live according to that. When we are thankful to God for the gospel ultimately and for every provision, no matter how small they may be, when we respond to thanks by becoming the servants of God, living our lives as sacrifice. And when we just do simple things, like keeping our word, God is honored and God is pleased. I love this psalm, which is really not moving into a whole other point, but it's a wrapping up kind of statement. So, and it seems particularly appropriate for today. Today is Father's Day. And there's probably nothing that any of us can do that would be a greater gift than to simply to acknowledge and to say to our fathers if we're able, Dad, I, I love you. And even more so, if behind the words, you have given some thought as to the reasons why. And there's no greater gift than we can give to our Father this day than that same thing, to be able to come before him and to say, Lord, I, I love you because however it is that you finish those words. Again, from the Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay, he says this, giving our testimony, declaring why we love God, is a gesture of love to Yahweh. Not just a gesture of emotional love, but an expression of the commitment of our whole life. And so now your assignment this week is simple. Give some thought to why you love the Lord. Optional, extra credit. For me, God's not giving extra credit, but optional. Post it on your social media. Share it with somebody in conversation. I love the Lord because. Write it down in your journal. Remind yourself. Celebrate commemorate because when no one else would love you God did and God still does let us love the Lord Father we give thanks to you this day for you are good your goodness has no ending. Your expressions and provision 
are never exhausted. And they are not a machine and just general. Though they are universal, they are not just of the universe. They are expressions of your personal affection for all and for everyone who belongs to you. And for that we give you thanks. But Lord, we are in need also of being reminded we can be a very dense people. We can be forgetful, we can become self-absorbed, self-focused. Circumstances cause us to our attentions to turn from you. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, you would bring our attention to who you are and what you've done for us. Ultimately in salvation, daily and moment by moment in preservation. Give us the ability to remember and to see the ways in which you have loved us. Break our hearts of stone. Break the stone walls that are around them that we've put up so that we can protect our hearts from the pain that we've experienced. Let us experience your love. And declare it in response. That you would be glorified. And we would give word, expression, to the joy that belongs to all who belong to you. Be all praise to you, our God. We love you. Because the reasons are infinite. We pray this in Christ, our Redeemer King. Amen.